0: Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning, church. Uh, If you don't know who I am, you are better for it. But my name is Jimmy. Um, I preach here on occasion. I am a... um, partner, almost forgot the word. Um, I'm a partner here at Have been. I was actually, Chris said something about a hundred times, and I was like, I was trying to do the math because I've been here since fall 2015, and we've got to be like, I missed quite a few over summers because I would do some mission trip over summer and stuff, but I got to be close to like 300 times in this community, so that's pretty exciting. Um, It's been a week, right? Um, We have a little bit of a lighter crowd. I think part of that is the snow. We actually have a lot of our I think they're fifth to eighth graders, maybe a little bit older than that, um, are on a sleepover, actually, at like a church camp type deal. Um, And so I have a couple of people missing as a result of that. So please be praying for them for safety, um, that the Lord, yeah, really impacts their lives uh, this weekend, so that's exciting. Um, I'm sure some of you saw this social media post. It's also been a week for me. Um, My little guy Alex broke both wrists Um, yeah, he slipped on some ice after school. Uh, this was Friday, uh, landed wrist first. I thought he was just, honestly, I thought it was just like a sprain. Um, and then we go get the x-rays and the x-ray tech was, Alex asked the x-ray tech, he's like, so are they broken? And the x-ray tech looks at me and he goes, I go, well, Alex, he can't say. Only the doctor can tell us, but no, we're good. No breaks, I can see. You don't see anything, right? And he's like, nope. then the doctor walks in and is like, yeah, they're both broken. It's like, oh, (laughs) nice um he's been really really great we're thinking through what it looks like to do a lot of basic things so um that's all i'll say on that um (laughs) yep i think you got my jeff uh on a more serious note um it's honest obviously been a pretty pretty hard weekend for our country right um we had a couple of mass shootings in california um i actually was just reading this morning, uh, and shootings are now the leading cause of death among people under 24, which is just, at this point, I feel like violence is a function of our society, right? Um, along the same lines, as many of you know, the release of the body cam footage of Tyree Nichols being murdered by police um, was also released this weekend. Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about it for a minute. I just want to say, I talk about these things a lot when I come up here, and I think that there's a level, even for myself where I'm just like, God, I'm so tired of these things, I'm so tired of talking about them like I'm so tired and I'm so tired of being mad about them, um, but I was reminded this morning by the Lord of the the persistent friend I don't know if you guys know this parable I won't I have whole sermon, so I won't preach right now on this, but the idea is that the persistent friend knocks on his friend's door over and over and over, asking for a loaf of bread in his travels, right? And the friend who's in the house is annoyed because uh, it was inconveniencing him, but he ended up feeding him. And the God said, how much, you know, if this uh, person who is not perfect is answering their persistent friend, how much more will I answer you and your persistence, right? And so I I just want to remind us, like, We have to be persistent in our prayers, in our desires for justice. Uh, The most dehumanizing thing we can do is to move on, to act like we don't care, to not bring it up, right? Because what we're saying is you're not worth considering, you're not worth justice, you're not worth these things, right? And so I want to talk about it a little bit more uh, this morning. Um, So uh, and then we're going to get into our sermon. So I'm just going to say, like, if you need some space right now I understand if you need to move like do not be feel like you are holding or held to this room if that makes sense but um, if you not have not heard or seen uh, footage of the incident uh, I personally would advise reading about the incident Um, it is sickening dehumanizing and frankly evil Uh, I wanted again to name this event this morning because before I began preaching because we are a church who says a justice creed right One of our honors, or one of our values is honor. Uh, I wanna read you this morning from our website, how we define honor in Monsieur de Chicago at large. We affirm that every single person has a measurable value because they are made in the image of God. Yet we live in a world where so many have their inherent dignity questioned and marred, often as the result of systemic injustices. In response, we will become a community of hope and action seeking friendship and unity as we become reconcilers and advocate until all people in Chicago flourish, right? So we say justice creed, one of our values is honor. And Jesus, in explaining the devil himself, says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? The footage of Tyree Nichols, like in the cases of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Atatiana Jefferson, Tamir Rice, Ahmaud Arbery, just to even name a few. The footage in this case shows that life is not flowing abundantly in our country. Life is disregarded, particularly black life, right? If we're going to be a church who says the justice creed, if we're gonna be a church who has honor as one of its founding principles, if we're gonna be a church who follows Jesus, let us name these events, grieve these events, and stand in the gap when we are called to stand and advocate for life and life abundantly. That's, our, that's my call this morning. So a few action steps I wanna call us to and then we're gonna get to our text this morning. Um, the first one is lament. Allow yourself to know the facts of the case. Allow yourself to grieve. Uh, lament is the best anecdote to desensitization and hopelessness because we allow our emotions to engage with the realities of our world, right? Second one, advocate for justice and don't jump directly to peace. Now some of you may say, Jimmy, peace is good, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. To which I agree, right? Peace is good. However, there's going to be a strong reaction to this case. There already has been, right? And honestly, there should be. And so often in these scenarios, many people, particularly ones who look like me, uh, will be quick to say, please just protest peacefully. And I understand the heart of that but many then quick jump to equating the reaction to the bad thing to the bad thing itself. Do you know what I mean? We equate how people react to the bad thing to the bad thing itself. There were think pieces in the summer of 2020 wondering if the rioting was worse than the murders themselves, right? That's where we're at. And so part of mourning with those who mourn is allowing them to mourn, right? Let our voices for justice in this case be louder than our voices for peace, for forgiveness, for quickness, for quietness. And finally, love each other well, particularly in this room, right? Check in on each other, hold each other up, bear one another's burdens. A few weeks ago, I prayed that this room would be grace to people, right? And grace would leave with you, right? And, and so I just pray, like advocating for life abundant in a culture of death is exhausting. And only by the power of the spirit and the presence of each other will we be able to continue to be advocates, right? So love each other well in this room. There's a lot I can say um, about this. Uh, There's a lot more that will be said about this um, in the discourse of our country, of our church and things like that. But I just wanted to give us a first pass this morning. So before I um, do get to our passage, I wanna give just a couple we'll feel it out, but a minute or so of silence. Um, In this time, I wanna just give you space to lament, to pray Um, for those who don't necessarily know what to do right now. Take this time to pray that we can see our situation get one step closer to life abundant, right? Pray for the family uh, of Tyree Nichols, for the black community in Memphis, and for change. Good, okay, so just one minute. God, um, yeah. We just pray that you are the God who sees. Uh, We pray that we know that, Lord. We pray for for life and life abundant, Lord. um, Give us the power by your Spirit uh, to be advocates um, for those who society deems are on the margins, for those who society deems um, are not worth life. Your son's name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. I appreciate you all. Um, this is going to be an abrupt transition. So I just want to warn you um, that we are in uh, some areas of potential whiplash. So if you do need some, some more time, some more space, um, take take it. I'm not going to be uh, offended if you need to get up and leave, right? Um, but I am personally an advocate of humor. Um, I think it is often a good anecdote for the soul in hard times. And so I am gonna start with a little bit of a funny story, but I just wanted to give you that warning, so. Y'all with me? All right, so we are about to get into Ephesians 2, uh, one through 10, Um, but to get into this passage this morning, I do wanna tell you a little bit of a story uh, from my college years. So uh, for the first three years of my college career, I went to Northwestern in Evanston. I actually don't know which way north is, I just pointed in direction, but um, just north on the lake. I was actually a biology and religious studies double major, and I was pre-med. Now, I know that is probably shocking to some, if not all of you, um, that I could have been a doctor. But let me assure you, (laughs) I could not have been a doctor, right? There's a reason that I said my first three years of college I was a biology major, right? Um, Anyways, one of my favorite times when I was a biology major was organic chemistry. I liked it so much, I took it twice. Um, yeah, S- Some of you will get why they're laughing on the way home. Um, anyways, Organic Chemistry, AKA Orgo, uh, was considered the hardest class at Northwestern. Uh, in fact, many of my friends would take it over the summer at Harvard so that they could avoid taking it at Northwestern. Um, I didn't have money like that, so I tried to take it twice at Northwestern. Um, so my second time taking Organic Chemistry We take our second midterm, our big test, right? Uh, And before the the professor hands back the test, he's like, I need to prepare you guys, I need to warn you. The average on this test was 8%. Eight, and that's percent, right, out of 100, right? You multiply eight by seven, and you still fail, right? Like, think about that, 8% on the test. So we're all on pins and needles waiting to get our tests back, right? He passes him out, and I look down, and I don't, I don't, I'm not one to brag, but I got a 91%, guys. Yeah, 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 right, right. Honestly, taking it twice really helped. So I'm looking down on my test. Kids are crying, kids are cheering, kids are walking out before the professor can say anything, right? I can hear We Are the Champions somewhere in the background. I think it was in my head, but I'm not, I can't be sure. Um, And then the professor says this. He says, So obviously this test was rough for most of us, right? The average is an 8%. So my 91% factors into that average. So I'm gonna give everyone a B plus and just move on. I made the test way too hard, right? Now, yeah, I was mad. (laughs) Like why, why wouldn't I be? How could he do that when I worked so hard to get the 91%? I'm actually gonna get a lower grade than what I earned, right? I took the class twice, others could too, right? So, be honest with me, who, who is angry right now, or who would be angry in this situation? Yeah, for those of you not raising your hands, like I don't care about grades, congratulations on ascending, um, I get it. But I was so mad, and I still would be, I have not yet ascended. Um, but let me ask you this, if you had gotten 8% or below, how many of you would have been angry? No, none of you, yes, yes, good. Um, you, you would not be angry if you got the B+, plus because you got an 8%, right? Of course not. Your response to the professor depends on your position in the class, right? Did you already fail or would you have passed without the curve, right? (laughs) Now it's time to admit something, right? I made it up. Um, Most of the story is true. Um, I did take Orgo twice, so mostly the negative parts. Um, I did participate in a midterm where the average was 8% actually. And guess what, I got a 12%. I did not get the 91% and everyone did not receive a B B+. He actually did curve it. So I actually got a B B+ somehow because I beat the, the curve by like a full uh, standard deviation. But I did not get an, uh, a, a 91. Yeah, there was a curve, but there was a normal one. I embellish this story a little bit because I want to highlight something. Grace is scandalous and incredibly countercultural in America, right? Even as Christians, when we encounter true grace from person to person, we can sometimes even be angry at the idea of grace. Why did they get that, right? Why were they treated like that? Others deserve more. I deserve more, right? Now of course, we have some strong positive responses to grace when we see it too. Because it's so countercultural, we are often blown away. There's this judge I saw on, um, it was on Twitter via TikTok, but, um, and he was like this person who uh, was like, there's this young uh, single mom who owed parking tickets. And he's like, heard her situation, and he was like, you know what, here's some money. Instead of you paying, I'm gonna give you money to make sure you feed your kid. Like that is grace, right? Theoretically, she deserved to pay the tickets, and yet he met her with, a, with her own need, right? Uh, and, and so we are blown away by those situations. But I think within the church, we have often cheapened the idea of grace a bit, because of the frequency with which we use the word, but we don't actually consider its depth, grace, right? So this morning as we look at Ephesians 2, we will be looking at the scandalous grace of God and its culture, counter-cultural impact. So to reorient us a bit, we already know this, but we're in the book of Ephesians, and in introducing the book three weeks ago, I laid up the pretty clear structure of the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, we have the indicative chapters, right? What do they say about us that is true now as a result of who Jesus is and what he has done, right? And then chapters four through six, we have the imperative chapters. As a result of the indicatives, as a result of what is true of us, let us now live like this, right? And so we're in chapter two this morning, uh, verses one through 10, which is clearly in the chapters one through three section, and we are in the indicative section what is true of us as a result of what Jesus has done. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you, this passage was really, really difficult for me to write uh, a sermon on. Tiana has hit on this idea before, but um, I worked in college ministry for five years and we would share the gospel pretty much daily, multiple times with the tract. Um, And however you feel about tracts, uh, the point being is that this tract used used Ephesians 2, one through 10 pretty heavily, right? Um, to, to be able to share the gospel with someone. And so I am just like so familiar with this passage. I was like, what can I say that's new? Or, and it was a very self-centered focus, right? It's like, what can I do to make this passage flashy? Um, now, I don't know if you all know this, but research, research shows that 52% of car accidents happen within five miles of a person's home. Um, and 69% happen within 10 miles. Why is that? Now, you, you drive there more frequently, I do think that that's part of it, but I, I think that the main reason is that we get comfortable with what's familiar, right? And we stop paying attention as a result, we get in accidents. I realized as I was writing these words for this morning that my familiarity with the passage meant I stopped paying attention. I thought I was a grace graduate, right? I had my master's in mercy, my bachelor's in benevolence, right? So if that's you this morning, If you think that you are a grace graduate, um, if you believe that you have graduated from the elementary truths of the gospel, I ask you to open your heart to what God might have for us this morning. All right, with that, let's go ahead and jump into the passage. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, much like the whole book of Ephesians, has a very, very clear structure. Verses 1 through 3, and I have a little bit of a a chart here, yeah. Um, So don't worry about reading the passage, but verses 1 through 3, talk about what was true of us before we knew Jesus, right? Verse four is the biggest but in the Bible, uh, which transitions us to verses five through nine, which is what is true of us as a result of Jesus. And then verse 10 tells us what we have been saved for. So what was true, but God, what is now true, and what that leads to. With me? Let's go ahead then and look at verses one through three. What was true of us before we knew Jesus? And these are all straight from the text. (laughs) The first one, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. For those of us, or for those who are dead, um, how do they change that? Sorry, this is a little small, so I'll just read them too. How do they change their situation? They don't, right? This is the gravity of spiritual death. We are unable to do anything about it. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, The next one, we followed the ways of the world. The idea of sin which I have talked about, or this idea of sin, sorry, which I have talked about in the past is really, really important to understand. Sin is far more than individual acts. It is like a virus that has not only infested us, but has infested our systems and our structures, right? As a result, the ways of this world are inherently mutually exclusive to the ways of God because of the infestation of sin. I've used this example before, but if God is an island, and we are on a boat in the water and desire to get to him, the current of the culture, the ways of this world, are too strong for us on our own to defeat it. And we will, despite our best efforts, follow them and end up back on the shore. I want to give you an example of the way this can work that is relevant to the rest of the passage. Consider this. What makes someone successful in the eyes of our culture? What do people who are striving for success do? It's the grind set, right? It's do as much as you can to climb the ladder. I saw a viral tweet this week. Sorry, I've brought up Twitter twice. Maybe someone should talk to me about it, but um, it it said this, work-life balance in your 20s is an easy way to guarantee a mediocre career, okay? Work-life balance in your 20s is an easy way to guarantee a mediocre career. What they were advocating for was like lack of work-life balance, throw yourself in your work so that you don't have a mediocre career, right? And I hear me, I am not saying that working hard at your job is inherently sinful. But what is sinful is viewing everyone's worth through this mindset, right? Including your own worth. I uh, mentioned I worked in college ministry at North, Northwestern. Uh, if you don't know, it's a pretty competitive school. Um, and I can't tell you how many guys I had to remind that their worth was not in their failing grade in organic chemistry, right? Uh, they were not what they did or how they performed. All of my coworkers, when I was on this team at Northwestern, had also gone to Northwestern. Um, do you know how many of them turned from their, they, they thought they were doing the right thing. They turned from how successful was I doing in school to how successful was my ministry, right? And they, they, they defined their worth by how many people Uh, they were discipling, or how many people they saw come to Jesus. You are not worth what you do, right? You are not worth what you do. You are not worth what you provide to others, even if it's a charitable way of living. You are not worth how good your ministry is. This is the way of the world. Your worth is in in being beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. It is why we cannot allow ourselves to be affected by the people who When someone is murdered by the state, they're going to share the criminal record of the person who was murdered, right? They're going to share their shortcomings. We do not advocate for life abundant just for the squeaky clean, right? We advocate for it for everyone as they are beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We do not follow the ways of this world. Uh, Next one, we followed the ruler of the kingdom of air. Uh, this is just a Jewish phrase for the devil, as you probably knew. Uh, it's a reminder that our battle is not with flesh and blood, right? Another one we gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Similar to the ways of the world, apart from Christ and the guidance from the Holy Spirit, our motivations and our desires were not in line with God, right? And we, by nature, deserved wrath. I think this one is important in many contexts, many communities maybe, uh, but not one I'm going to dwell on this morning. I know already from knowing us and from being in this community for a while that we struggle much more with self-condemnation than we do with self-righteousness, right? Okay, so, so this is what was true of us before Jesus. But then what comes next, right? But God. God saw what was true of us, how we were dead with no answers to our deadness, and God showed up. And based on verse four here, why does he show up? Because of his great love for us and because he is rich in mercy, right? I think, this is not the last time I'm gonna say this this morning um, or or moving forward, but God didn't save us because we were mostly there. We have to know that. God did not save us because we were mostly there. Y'all remember my orgo test, how I said I got a 91, but I got a 12. I think many of us function as if we are 91% of the way there and God just met us there. When the best of us are even much closer to the 12%, right? Because zero is a lot closer to 12. Anyways, God does not save us because we are most of the way there. He rescued us because of his love, because he loved us, and he is rich in mercy. And what does the passage say is the conduit by which God saves us? It is by his grace you have been saved, right? Now, we've already talked a lot about grace, but I haven't really defined it. So a short version is grace is an undeserved gift, right? Particularly when we deserve punishment. If I wrong you, but you show love to me, that's grace. I deserved a broken relationship as a result of the wronging, and yet you gave me love. Grace, right? So what is the grace that God showed us? What gift, free gift, does he give us, despite what we deserved? He gave us his son, Jesus, who took on the death we deserved, the death we were living and it was not the one he deserved. He was not dead in sin. He was not following the ways of the world or the devil. He was not deserving of wrath, but he took it on, right? In our place, that we might receive his righteousness and a restoration of relationship as God's children. Um, I use this phrase a lot when I worked in ministry, and it's one I regret now. We brought nothing to the table. And, And while this is true to a degree, I think the way I like to think of it now is that we already had what we were uh, able to bring to the table. And what we had was the image of God, right? It still points to the power of God and only God at work in our salvation, but the idea of we bring nothing to the table can be interpreted in a way that's a bit dehumanizing, right? And is very much related to what we talked about in terms of what your worth comes from. Um, If you could humor me for a second, one of my favorite bands is Manchester Orchestra. And just for clarity, it's not an orchestra. Um, They're a bit niche, but if you ask anyone between ages 32 and 32 and a half, um, they (laughs) probably listen to them. Um, They have this album titled Everything to Nothing. And so you think it's gonna be about this big fall, right? This person who had everything, sort of Ozymandias, everything, and then they fall to nothing, right? But the meaning is revealed in the song with the same name. And singing to his friend, lead singer Andy Hull says, you mean everything to nothing, which is kind of disappointing. You mean everything to nobody but me. And so he's actually equating himself to nothing, right? He's like, you mean everything to nothing, which is me. I'm, I'm sort of nothing, right? See, he's telling his friend that he means the world to him, but, but how much does that really mean because he is nothing? That's sort of the ex- exploration of the whole album. Whole album is a search for self-worth and how it impacts him in relationships with people and with God, the lead singer. So when I say we bring nothing to the table in our salvation outside of what we already had, do not hear that you are the nothing in this case, right? No, what you already had is the image of Christ, which is absurdly priceless and an incredible honor. So then what is true of us as a result of grace? We are alive with Christ. We, are, we were not able to make ourselves alive from death, but God can and he has. And that life that we now experience is with Christ, right? God is a relational God. And so he brings us back into a relationship, into communion with him. What a beautiful picture. We wronged God. We turned our backs on him. We spit in his face. And yet he loved us and made way to a relationship with him still. I am not worthy, but God has made me worthy, right? I was lost, but I have been found. I was dead, but I am alive. Next one, we are saved Uh, And then we are raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Now this one's a little confusing, confusing because once we start following Jesus, we don't like sprout wings and ascend, right? Uh, Apparently some of you had who didn't care about grades, but that's beside the point. But what he's saying here is that our spot in eternity with him is secure. We have our seat. And in ways we can participate in harder things on this side of eternity, like loving people, fighting for justice, caring for those that society does not care for because our abundant abundant life is promised on the other side of eternity, right? We can lean into the hard now knowing that that promised life is ahead of us. (laughs) We are shown the kindness of God. We get to know him. We get to see his character. That's a beautiful thing, right? Okay, so we have seen what the passage says, what was true of us before Christ and what is true after. So we're gonna end with what does this lead to? Uh, verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to, go- to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are his handiwork, his workmanship. When you pull that word out, handiwork, it's a Greek word here. Uh, I think I have it, yeah. Uh, right below handiwork, workmanship, it's pronounced poema, or poama, I think actually. Uh, pretty straightforward. It, it means what is made, a workmanship creation. But does anyone know what word, English word, we get from poyama? Poem. Yeah, it's poem, right? And I love this picture. It says God has sat and crafted us as a beautiful creation, right? He labored, making sure each word was perfectly placed so that his workmanship, his poyama, is on full display. I can't think of a more beautiful picture than the great creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, of every animal, of every star, of every atom, has gone great lengths for me to be his handiwork, his poyama, right? This scandalous grace that God might love that which has been deemed unlovable, this grace that leads to us being crafted into his poyama for what? For good works, which God prepared for us in advance. I can't help but think of Mordecai when he's talking to Esther when she has an opportunity to save all of the Jewish people from the king, and she has been placed in the presence of the king. Uh, Mordecai tells her this, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, right? We've been crafted as his poyama for such a time as this. And in this truth, is the countercultural reality that I talked about, the impact of the gospel. It is not by our good works that we are saved, right? It is not by our success, by our grindset, that we have value. The ways of the world might define us by what we do, but God does not. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved so that we might participate in the good works, right? And seeing others experience the abundant life that we have experienced in our redeeming. Grace frees us from the shame, That can so often paralyze us from doing anything good out of fear that we will do it wrong, right? Grace frees us from that shame. And it also brings us into the presence of God where we experience true goodness. So in this both freeing us from and bringing us to our handiwork, workmanship, poyama identity is allowed to drive our good works. This is what true freedom in Christ looks like. We are no longer in bondage to the success culture around us. Our meaning, our worth is found in the God who loved us even when we were dead and has made us alive as a result of his love, right? So I'm gonna read the passage one more time um, and then I'm gonna pray. So let these words be grace to you and grace with you as you leave this room. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in our transgressions it is by grace created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do so. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.